0: Jesus, how will we know when the last days are at hand? And in Luke 24, Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of the birth pains. Just this past week, the president of Iran, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, said that Iran's army is so mighty today that no enemy can have a foul thought of invading Iran's territory as talks of nuclear production escalate. Just this year, earthquakes in Haiti, Chile, Spain, Indonesia, China, Papua New Guinea, and many others have struck our planet with great magnitude. Violence seems to be escalating in our minds, especially here in Chicago. We see all these things. We hear of earthquakes, nuclear weapons, violence. And ought we to think, Jesus' words, these things will precede his coming. They are the birth pains. Now, a pessimist might add, seasons like this have existed throughout human history. There have been tumultuous times when there have been natural disasters, violence and war. A pessimist might add, Men and women throughout all of history have felt like their day was the last day. Throughout history, people thought that Jesus may come in their generation. And to the pessimist, I respond, Yes, it is true that there have been other tumultuous times in history. Yes, it is true that men and women of God throughout history felt that their generation was the generation that Jesus would come. But yes, it is also true that Jesus gave us details for what reason? But to know that His coming is near. Now, when I think of these events going on in our world today, two thoughts come to mind. First of all, I think, indeed, this could be the generation. These birth pains could be the birth pains. That is a very strong reality second thing that comes to mind, whether or not this is the generation or whether or not these are the last days, these things remind me that this earth is not my home. It should remind all of us, this earth is not our home. When you go to a hotel and you check in, you bring your suitcase. When you get into your room, most of us don't even unpack our suitcase in the dresser unless we're staying for maybe a week. I'm pretty sure none of us paint the walls. I'm pretty sure none of us change the curtains or put our voice on the answering machine. Now, I know some of you bring your coffee maker because you're particular, but you don't bring your stove. And I know none of you have ever had an address change to room 227 at the Red Roof Inn. Because it's not home it's not your home it's a temporary dwelling place and in that sense you live out of your suitcase because you don't want to get too comfy because it's not permanent and in like manner Jesus' reminder that these natural disasters these things in the world these uh, rumors of war remind us that yes this could be the last day but most of all this earth isn't our home so don't get too comfy don't get too situated. Make sure that you're living out of your suitcase. Make sure you're living out of your suitcase. We look at Hebrews 11 today. Verses 13 through 16 in particular. Where we have somewhat of what, what I want to say is an alien's anthem. You see, when we place our trust in Jesus, when we make Him the Lord of our life, when we receive the forgiveness He offers and the life that He gives we have a transfer of our citizenship from earth to heaven. We no longer are citizens of earth. Heaven is our new home. Therefore, on earth, we're strangers. We're exiles. We're aliens. So today we're going to look at what I want to call an alien's anthem. I'm living out of my suitcase. This earth is not my home. And as we look at this... Anthem for the aliens, there are three dynamics at work that I think coexist in such a way that one can't exist without the other. We will see that to be a rightful alien on earth, we have to acknowledge our true homeland. And as we acknowledge our homeland, then secondly, we learn how to live as aliens on earth, as foreigners here. And as we acknowledge our homeland, Live as aliens, our desires for home, not, not home here, home, begin to deepen. And our yearning for God is stronger to hear Him say, "Well done, good and faithful servant." I want us to look at the aliens' anthem and to see the subtle exhortation to all of us, do you claim the Lord Jesus as your savior? If so, you're an alien. And if an alien, let us live like that. Before I continue, would you bow with me as we commit the remainder of this message to the Lord in prayer? Oh God, we are struck by these realities of the world we live in. It really feels like it's deteriorating sometimes, God. It really feels so vulnerable so weak. And God, in reality, it it is. It's temporary. And Lord, we are sojourners here. Teach us, God, if we open Hebrews 11, what that means for every single one of us, that we might be aliens living out of our suitcase. In Christ's name, Amen. Hebrews chapter 11 is known as the faith chapter. Some call it the hall of faith. Men and women of God throughout Israel's history are mentioned here as people who sought to obey God over and above anything else. They recognized that they were children of God and that was their identity. Opening this chapter, we have Abel, Adam and Eve's son mentioned, who offered a proper sacrifice that his brother did not do. And Abel obeyed God and pleased God, and for it he lost his life. Enoch walked with God. We see Enoch there in verse 5. Enoch walked with God, and then he was no more. God took him to himself. He was a man who knew what it meant to be an alien, and ultimately was taken home without dying. Noah, in verse 7, was a man who made an ark when others around him looked at him, mocked him. But he counted his obedience to his God as of greater importance than the acceptance of man. He knew what it meant to be an alien. And in verse 8, we have Abraham. We have Abraham, a man that God called out of his land to follow him. If you jump down to verse 13, we are told this of these men and women of faith. Abraham is also mentioned with Sarah there in verse 11. But in verse 13, it says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. In particular here, I want us to zero in on Abraham and Sarah. Look at verse 8. How did Abraham live by faith in such a way that made him a Stranger on earth. Verse 8 says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Genesis 12 tells us this. God told Abraham to leave his country and to go to the land of Canaan. Having never been there before, not knowing the exact route, he followed God in obedience. That's the first mark we have of Abraham. Verse 9, by faith, he went to live in the land of promise, and as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Now we know Isaac and Jacob did not live with him at this time, but what the writer is saying, Abraham, would give birth; uh, would, would, um, his son would be Isaac, and Isaac's son would be Jacob. So without Isaac and Jacob being alive yet at this point, Through Abraham, they were experiencing his sojourning on earth. Verse 10, he was looking, referring to Abraham, forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. This isn't on earth. This is something different. The writer continues in verse 11, By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. She recognized God's faithfulness with the promise that she and Abraham would have a son. Verse 12. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead. I love that line. He was old. Abraham was old, aging, and the Hebrews writer says he's as good as dead. But from him, from his wife Sarah, were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. (coughs) Now, from Sarah was born Isaac, but not an innumerable nation yet. It would become that. But all Abraham and and Sarah experienced was Isaac. He was God's promise fulfilled to them in their lifetime. In verse 13, it continues. It says that Abraham acknowledged and and so did Sarah and all the others who were like them, they acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. What made Abraham an exile on the earth? (coughs) Now notice, it says he was an exile on the earth, not in the land. He left his home country, came to Canaan, and sure he was an exile in that land, but verse 13 says that they were exiles on the earth. Just think about that. I mean, what gives? Where is home if earth does not have it? Well, for Abraham, home was something greater, something beyond what he would experience. So we saw in verse 10, it is a city whose foundations are made by God. But what made Abraham an alien? I mean, really, what, what was it that made him an alien? And I want to summarize that with one word. Worship. Worship made Abraham an alien on earth. Abraham was from a land called Ur of the Chaldeans in Mesopotamia. This land was known to be a land that worshipped the moon god. And truly, we don't know who Abraham worshipped before he met the true god of the Bible. It's very possible that he and his family were idolatrous people worshipping the moon god, as others in their community did. But God spoke to Abraham and said I have a plan for you I am the true god and Genesis 12 says that Abraham went out and did as God told him to do that was Abraham's response of obedience when Abraham made that decision to follow the God of the Bible he no longer became he was no longer a citizen of earth but had a transferred citizenship to heaven at that moment Abraham became an alien. He was not only an exile in the land, but an exile on earth. Now let's look at that from our perspective. I said that we're aliens. What makes you and I an alien? How are we like Abraham? Well, for this reason, the last two Sundays we talked about idolatry. Because just as worship made Abraham an alien, an exile on earth, so does worship Make us aliens on earth. That is, not what we, or not how we worship, but who we worship. Not the style of our worship, but the object of our worship. Lastly, we learned that there is only one God. And other objects of worship truly are not gods, but they're idols. And behind the idols are what? Demons. See, it is Satan's desire to take us off course from our true worship. Because if our worship, if it's taken off course of the true God, then our identity as aliens becomes compromised. And as we set forth our desire, to say, God, we are worshipers of you, the true God, we lay aside every idolatrous impulse and we surrender that to you because you are the object of our worship then you can embrace the title alien just as Abraham had done it. So I'm an alien and I'm proud of it. And I pray that you are too. I really appreciated the video we saw just a moment ago. That young man was walking the streets of New York and put yourself in his shoes. He looked like every other person, didn't he? There was no physical difference. He spoke in some ways like other people. But as he lived his life of worship, as he walked down the street, worship was an outflow that he could not contain, and it set him apart. He stuck out like a sore thumb, kneeling down in the middle of the street with arms raised, shouting hallelujah. That's an alien who looks different in this land. He looks like others, he's in this world, but truly he is not of it. And that is the first part of the alien's anthem. We acknowledge our homeland. We don't belong on earth. You don't belong here. Don't open your suitcase and unpack. Don't get too comfy. This earth is not your home. So as aliens then, how do we live? Verses 14 and 15 show us that. Would you look at your Bibles with me? It says, For people who speak thus, who speak like they are strangers in exiles, make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been, seeking, if they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. Their language set them apart. They talked like exiles. They spoke like aliens. We know when someone from the south comes up north, don't we? We can tell in their language, in in their accent, in the way that they speak. We look at them and say, you're not from around here, are you? Indeed, it is true of those of us who call upon Jesus as our Savior. How different is your talk? They made it clear. There is no doubt, it says in verse 14, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. There's no vagueness about their identity. So how does an alien speak? Is it Nanu, Nanu? Or take me to your master? Or Elliot? An alien speaks different according to the scriptures. Colossians 4 tells us to have our conversations seasoned with salt. As people who are otherworldly, our mouth is an instrument by which we declare our identity. It is an instrument by which we encourage our brothers and sisters. It is an instrument by which we tell others about the hope that we have. And our mouth ought to make it clear where our homeland truly is. Does your tongue declare your home? When people see you, do they know that your homeland is different by the way that you speak? We have to talk about our homeland. I think of 1 Thessalonians 4 and how we get there. When it says that Jesus will part the clouds and a trumpet will sound. And those who are dead in Christ will rise first. Then those who are still alive will meet him in the air. Does that come out of your mouth? The excitement that stems from being an alien, knowing that you're going to be going home sometime? Do the events of the world right now, the earthquakes, the rumors of war, the nuclear threats, do those things make you afraid? Or do they make you remember that you're going home sometime, and maybe sooner than later? And do others know that hope? It says in verse 15 if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. See, if Abraham was in Canaan, kept thinking about his old land of Ur of the Chaldeans, and said, Man, I remember how it was back there. I really missed that. I wish I could go back. The writer of Hebrews is telling us Abraham could have gone. He could have went. He could have up and left. But that is not what he was thinking about. See that? It says in verse 15, he was thinking of his homeland. It's what consumed his thoughts. And he didn't want to go back to his old self. And as we transition our lives to be followers of God, as he transforms us, we leave our old self Our old land, if you will. And we don't want to go back. We turn from that. And we make it clear that that is our plan and our desire. Just as Abraham and others made it clear that they were seeking a homeland. They would have had opportunity to return. But for him, it was no turning back. They didn't toggle between one place and another. He didn't try to have dual citizenship. But he knew he was an alien. I know some aliens. And Adam, you're one of them. And there are others of you here. I know you're aliens. Because you talk different. You live different. You don't think back to your old self and want to go back there. Because you've been transformed. You're an alien. You're out of this world. You live out, out of your suitcase. So to be an alien, to be one who sings the alien's anthem, if you will, it begins with acknowledging our homeland, which is otherworldly, it's celestial, and then it goes to living that reality, living in light of our homeland, letting it influence our speech, our thoughts, and our actions. But thirdly, we also look at how it transforms our desires. Look at verse 16. But as it is... They desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Their desire was for a better country. If you've ever seen the movie E.T., you remember when he was on earth, what some of his first words were. His favorite one, E.T. phone home. What did he want? He wanted to go back. He wanted to talk to those who were home. He wanted to get back there. And as the movie progresses, being away from home was starting to cause him to deteriorate, to die, to slowly pass away. Being away from home created a gulf in his life and he wanted to go back and he could not be sustained on this earth much longer. And without drawing too close of a parallel to E.T., heaven is our home. And it's a better place. It says it that they desired a better country. And the longer we're away, it should be that the more homesick we get. And there's a tension there, because, on one hand, we've never been there yet we miss it. We've never been there, yet we want to be there. We've never seen it, but we know it's better than where we're at now. And those who have such desires as part of their alien anthem, look at what it says about God's response. This is a remarkable statement. Therefore, it says, God is not ashamed to be called their God. God is not ashamed to say, I'm his God. I'm her God. They worship me. And in response, it says, God has prepared for them a city. Now, that brings back to mind again verse 10. Look at verse 10. Abraham was looking for a city that had foundations whose designer and builder was God. Abraham knew that there was an eternal thing that he was longing for, And here we're showing that God built it. Abraham was a nomad. He lived in tents. He didn't live in a city, yet he desired a city. He knew he wouldn't have a city in Canaan because he knew that his eternal city was given to him by God. Now, all of you city haters, God doesn't build a suburb or a village, God builds a city. Now, I really am teasing, but I'll say this. Cities are the center for cultural development. Cities are the most populous places in the world. Therefore, they have great influence. Cities can engage government. Cities can be hubs for great evil, but can also be hubs for great transformation. Chicago is one of the greatest cities in this country and even in the world. Humboldt Park, Logan Square, is one of the most influential communities in Chicago, which is a great city. Trends are set in Humboldt Park. So as we think about our city, knowing that we have an eternal city we look for, God has called us to live in this city for the time being. That we might win other citizens to heaven that they may no longer be here on earth. So just the reality that we live in a city should create in us a mission-mindedness wherever we go. And God is creating a heavenly city. And this city's foundations cannot be shaken. You know, the condos across the street, we've seen this be, become a very long project. I remember them excavating the ground and laying a foundation that had to be stable. They don't want to create a building that's going to crumble in 20, 30, 40, 50 years. Consider this building, 100 years old. It was built with quality foundations, it was made to last. But every building, everything we've laid eyes on, cannot withstand everything. Buildings cannot withstand fires, buildings cannot withstand earthquakes of great magnitude. This building will not enter into eternity with us. But the building, the city that God creates, will. God has laid a foundation, a city that we have our hopes set on, that will never fade away. It will never crumble. In heaven, things shall remain perfect. As I was thinking about this city that God was creating for me, an alien, one who is a stranger here on earth, one who is living out of my suitcase, and as I started thinking about, God, I'm a sojourner on earth. I want to long for heaven, because I don't, to be honest. I don't long for heaven always. So I really sense God calling me to Revelation chapter 21 and saying, meditate on heaven then. See the city I have built. See what's there. Would you turn to Revelation chapter 21 in the back of your Bibles, the last two chapters of the Bible? If Jesus Christ is your Savior, if the God of the Bible is your God, then this is a a description of your true home. Revelation chapter 21. I'm going to read a lot here because I'd rather have the Bible describe it than my words. Verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. What we stand on today will be gone at some point. Verse 2. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. How appropriate that his bride will inhabit it. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be be with them as their God. He will wipe away... Every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things, the things we know, have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Verse 6. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of, of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God and he will be my son. That is our identity as an alien. That is our heritage. He is our God. But if that is not the case, if we reject God's call in our life, if we choose the idolatrous ways, if we choose to reject Jesus as our Savior, verse 8, but as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Verse 9. Then came out of the seven angels, then came out one of the seven angels who had the seven bulls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. He will continue a description of this city using the finest jewels to talk about it. And in verse 22, we have this magnificent description. Because as an exile on earth, like I said, this is your home and this is what we'll be doing for all of eternity and where we will be, verse 22, and I saw no temple in the city. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of the sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light and its lamp is the Lamb. But its light will, but its light will the nations walk and the kings of earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no more night there. They will bring into... It the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anything, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Only aliens, exiles, are written there. There, in that heavenly city, will be the worship of God. And in verse chapter twenty-two, verse fourteen, we are told this. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Thieves enter cities by climbing walls. Citizens enter cities by going through the gates. Verse 15. Outside of the gates are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. There is a clear distinction between those who have chosen the way of Satan, the way of demonic influence, the way of sin, and those who have embraced God as their Savior. And in verse 16, Jesus says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things. For the, uh, for the churches, I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The Spirit and the bride, who is us, say, Come! Surely, I am coming quickly. And to that we say, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Sometimes we can lose sight of our identity. But when wars in our world, talks of nuclear destruction, earthquakes surrounding us, things that Jesus said will precede His coming, they remind us one of two things. This indeed could be the generation when Jesus says, I'm coming. But secondly, it reminds us that this earth is not our home. Our citizenship is in heaven. I'm an alien on earth. And as an alien, would you acknowledge your homeland and let your homeland influence your life, the way you talk, the way you think, the way you walk? And would your desires be for the better country and for God to say, I'm not ashamed to call her or to call him my God? Or I am their God. Would you sing the alien's anthem? Would you acknowledge as the saints of old in Hebrews 11 and those for 2,000 years of church history since, that I am living out of my suitcase this earth ain't home would that be your anthem today let's pray oh father we know that right worship is what sets us apart we thank you that Jesus has given us life We thank you that our sins can be forgiven in His name. We thank you that salvation was not dependent on us. We thank you, Lord, that we have a new identity now. We thank you, Lord, that although sojourners, exiles, and aliens on earth, we have community here. We thank you, Lord, that you've called us to engage this world, that others might join with us in singing this anthem. And we thank you, Lord, that you've prepared a city for us. And Lord, from now until the time we enter the gates, we pray, God, that our lives would reflect that. Would there be no doubt by the way we speak? Would there be no doubt by the way we think? No doubt by the places our feet go, and the ways we use our hands? God, may we all live out of our suitcase and see this earth for what it is. Temporary. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.